We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oscar Robertson, Leo Sindor, what a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over McGrady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Happy birthday, Jason Kidd. This place is up for grabs. Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're gonna, be, we're gonna win in six. Hello, welcome to episode 332 of the Win in Six podcast. I'm your host. Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. How are you? Hello, I'm great. <laughs> You're great. That's what I like to hear. We are going to get into a whole lot of stuff on this episode. We are going to get into why exactly Jordan's great. We're going to give Jordan the chance to talk about, you know, feeling great about all things books. Um, <laughs> Tyro and I were on the, the Postgame 7 Eurostep Podcast Network crossover episode. Jordan was not. So, you know, I know the people all want to hear Jordan's reactions. We're going to get to that. But first, I, I think there's something I'd be remiss if I didn't do, which I haven't discussed with Jordan and Jordan may not like. But, Jordan, you revealed that your time oh. behind the book pass. <laughs> see, I knew you wouldn't like it, but you didn't see it coming. Your time behind the book pass is you know the curtain's coming down it's very nearly at an end and this is a big deal it's a big deal for you it's a big deal big deal for me it's a big deal for all of this though and i thought how could we not talk about this one this podcast doesn't exist without both of us being there and essentially starting the podcast as a behind the book pass podcast but even more so this podcast network doesn't exist because it's how everything came together. It's how Ty and Rohan got to know each other. It's how we, it's how we all came together. So, this is a this is a big big moment for us for you. How are you feeling? Uh, weird <laughs> to do. Um, I'll I'll uh, the people behind the curtain a little bit, but uh, someone didn't think the Bucks were going to be in the playoffs still <laughs> uh, when this happened. But yes, um, I don't know. I mean, we st- I still have a week 
week and a day. Yeah, because it's so. Oh my god. Yeah, so it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to do it during the season actually unfolding. They may make the NBA finals. Um, this but... is the Jim Paschke move to possibly go out like in the season, the championship season. But you know, your coverage yeah, doesn't Valley get Sports. right to the end. You know, it goes national for the finals. That's what I'm doing. I'm clearing out. I'm clearing out. Probably, I think it's gonna be mid series with the Hawks. It would be after Game Four. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Could we, well, could you, I, won't, I won't say anything. Um, <laughs> I won't, won't say anything unless just yet. But if if you haven't already, congratulated Jordan sent him good wishes. Um, do so. Go to him on Twitter. Send them. He should be incredibly proud of what he's done. I'm incredibly proud proud of what he's done and what we did together there. It's a hell of a ride. It's brought all of this into existence. Wouldn't have happened without sure. it. So, very special time, and that's a, a big moment for us and for books fans too. I hope a lot of people listening have probably read uh, your work there over the years. But the good news and the thing that we should do, because I remember I made a mess of clarifying this on Twitter and then on the podcast, you, as well, you did the exact same thing. So, <laughs> let's get to it right now. Jordan, you are no longer going to be behind the book pass very soon, but you will remain. A core part of Winning Six and the Eurostep Podcast Network, correct? Yes, yes, I'm not going anywhere in that sense. Okay. Key piece of housekeeping. Couldn't <laughs> skip by the moment to make Jordan uncomfortable, and I recommend that you all make him uncomfortable <laughs> on Twitter too. That was right. the mustache. The playoff <laughs> mustache. Well, that's you know, we'll get into all that now. So <laughs> The Bucks are in the Eastern Conference Finals again. They're going to be playing the Atlanta Hawks, which is something that came to pass since I was last on a podcast. But first of all, many people listening have probably listened to me on that post-game seven episode. A lot of people listened. Just uh, I haven't got a chance to hear the latest Eurostep. I don't know if the guys kind of a lot of people listened. So thanks for that and your continued support. We're glad that one, we're getting big moments like this, but two, that you're all tuning in and enjoying it. But Jordan, you were unavailable to do that. You know, some might say that was for the best. I don't know if I was necessarily in the right frame of mind to jump straight on a podcast after that. But how did you feel at the time? How are you feeling a couple of days later? You know, describe your Game 7 win over the Nets experience. Um, Nerve-wracking. Nerve-wracking, for sure. Um, I don't know. It's still kind of one of those things where it's like, it's such, I mean, I've said it to you, I've said it, probably tweeted or whatever. It just, there's no victory like that in my lifetime, of course, um, as a Bucks fan. And I would say in the franchise, like, granted, like, there's wins that you do that, that they had against in the finals and, you know, but it's like the stakes, it's do or die. Like literally there's so many implications to whether they win or whether they had lost. And is the only the only comparison, which is part of why, you know, I kinda wanted the Sixers. Um Sixers in eighty five, eighty six, where they beat the Sixers it in seven seven games, conference semifinals, same deal. We won't dwell too much on what happened at the conference finals. Um, but that's the only that's the only thing that to me 
you know, a team. As far as victory goes, too. Yeah, well, like, that's the thing. The books have been yeah. pretty good at losing Game 7s throughout their history. Very, very much so. Um, yeah, I never won one on the road either. So that's, I mean, that's where I think it's just like, it's, there's no, there isn't that like storied playoff history with the Nets, even though there were some series that are kind of, you know, competitive back in the day, but it's just like, it felt like all the talk that we talked about that series and just kind of like the anticipation with it and everything. It was like it was getting there, obviously, when especially when the Bucks, you know, got on the two o hole, but it was like distilled into that game, and it was just like this wild ride of like they're not going to do it. They're way like this is going to be a dud. Like they're down by ten at halftime or near halftime or whatever it was, and then it just kind of felt like they were chasing the game the whole time, and then Drew hits one of his only or one of five shots that he had that game and it's just like what like that's not that's not the script that that uh that we usually follow down here that's the moment and, though right like i saw frank madden yes. was one person who tweeted this thing adam paris tweeted this as well and i don't even know if we really mentioned it in specifics on the the pod after game seven that was the moment for me though when when I lost it. Like it's from that point where you're really into because he was so bad. He was so bad. Yeah. And you're like, the books need this now. You know, they need it right now to swing. Cause I think that was the play after the kind of messy turnover at midcourt where Durant was way yes. out ahead. Yes. Which to me was actually I, I for a lot of that I felt like I think they're gonna win this. I think they're gonna win this, and that play happened. That's like, oh, they're gonna lose. That's yeah. That's it. They're now five points. Seen... Now five points feels like a mountain to climb against this team at this point, with Drew not being able to do anything, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> he showed up. I think there was also before that might have been after Harden banked in that crazy three yeah. two. Yeah. So it was just other. also like, oh, that's another like, okay, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna happen, kind of thing. But yeah, it, it literally was Drew hitting those shots, and I'm just like, if that's happening now, it you know, and it's this close, like all they need is just like either Chris hit a shot or generate some kind of good look, um, <clears throat> which had been questioned throughout the series. But yeah, I mean, that's regulation. That overtime was just like, can anybody just like hold on to the ball for like the first three minutes of overtime? Like it was just like. Just pandemonium, like, the whole freaking time. Um, and then, yeah, Chris hits that crazy shot that... it was, It's just, it all feels like you watch that game and you, everybody's going nuts and you're just like, this is... You're like, you feel like you're celebrating the NBA Finals, like they just won it all. And then you realize, oh, there's two more rounds after this if they make it that far. And you're just like, oh my god. I mean, yes and no. I I don't know if it felt like. I don't think it felt like the NBA Finals. I we the truth is we don't know what that feels like. No. Um. So I I personally didn't feel like it was there, but it did feel like the biggest books win that we've seen. Obviously, the opponent, obviously everything that goes around it, but also just as a you know breaking through the barrier that they may have or any kind of roadblock that's there and you know where are you at as a team and to find margins in this postseason in particular for the books it's i have no shame in saying i mean people probably this to the previous podcasts where we were all like yeah this series is over 
I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I also I've oscillated privately somewhat public and some of it. It's like, you know, can Giannis can Giannis win a title as the main guy? Can could Chris do this? Do they just need to trade Chris? Do they need to trade Brooke? Do they need to and I have felt very strong on my convictions on all of those things at some point, and I have also felt the reverse, which this is, you know, this goes back to my pinned tweet, uh, which I just need to leave pinned forever. This is the book's experience, is that week to week, you do not know what you're going to get, and what you got the previous week is likely completely different to what you got what you get the next week. Um, but, yeah, you do have, Dave, two, two more rounds to go. I feel good. You know, I, I think there is, it's having two rounds to go. There's nothing to be overlooked there. I think that's really important. I don't feel like people generally are. There's also, I mean, this is not for the players, although maybe it is for the players internally. You can't be disingenuous about this. This is a golden opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't mean that it's impossible to lose to the Hawks or it's impossible to lose to the Suns or Clippers. All of those things are possible. But we can't treat this as anything other than, you know, this is your time. If, if you want to go and do it, if you're going to go and do it with things as they are, this is it. And you can't ask for a better chance because whatever, you could pick a whole variety of things. And who knows what way the offseason reshapes the NBA as it is often want to do. But if it's even something as simple as, oh, the Nets are fully healthy again next year or, you know, the Lakers have a healthier season and LeBron is still able to do what he's done before and AD's healthy. And, you know, there's, you could point to so many different things along with the development of other younger players. Like, I'm not certain this is the case, but it could be the case. You look at a team like the Hawks, like, it's a hell of a run they're having. We're going to talk a whole lot more about the Hawks. They're a very young team. So, what if things break their way or they find a couple of big moves? Like, is this the time to get the Hawks and a couple of years from now stuff could change? And you're like, that's just a team you don't want to see. I mean, there's a lot there. I think the books are the team who are most battle tested. It's maybe debatable with the Clippers, but, and I suppose Chris Paul single-handedly, Jay Crowder, there's players, but I there's, feel like yeah, there's players the books on, as a whole are. Yeah. You've got multiple players on the books who that's their own individual career arc, and then you have the books as a team who've been kind of running through this the last three years or so. So they've Tucker. got an Tucker, yeah. Even someone like he, he never really got through it, but team Drew man. Drew has been on the grind for a long time of just trying to yeah. you know make your way through rounds in the playoffs and find the right yeah. spot um pass yeah, going back to the blazers so there's the books have a different roster makeup to a lot of these teams and this is your chance it's as simple as that i th- i think they should they should come through this series but they have a lot of work to do to make sure they do and I think there's a really interesting detail when you look at the Heat series to the Nets series and then back to the Hawks series. I I think a lot of what they're going to have to do is recapture plenty of what they were doing against the Heat, but take the lessons from the Nets with them. Yes. Like there are, there are, I think their overall style being closer to how they played against the Heat would be beneficial, but there are key lessons, key lessons 
um, mostly to do with just, you know, grinding out wins and finding points wherever you need to get them and can get them, targeting smaller defenders, mismatch basketball, which is just, it's bread and butter of playoffs. It's something the Bucks hadn't done very well in previous years. They've had their moments of not doing it well this year, but they have done it well enough that here we are, we're at the conference finals and we're talking about it. So I, I do think it's interesting to see just what can they bring from the two series so far? What can they bring from, you know, the whole Budenholzer era, from good regular seasons, from all the lessons they've learned? What are they going to be able to bring to the table and what does that lead to against the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, this is uncharted territory for the Hawks by far. Um, and both teams are in a very similar position. They go through game seven or game sevens in their series. They're, I'm sure... Underdog game sevens for both teams, too. Very true. And um, I was just kind of, like, looking at minutes distributions because kind of, like... It's funny, both Bud and McMillan are kind of, like, in the same boat as, like, how they're perceived by the, you know, wider NBA um, atmosphere. Atmosphere? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Purview, I guess. Um but like you know, the rap is you know they play too many players sometimes, bigger rotation than needed, and you look at the minutes distributions throughout. Like you know, obviously the Bucks we saw that firsthand, like how it's literally Pat, and he's literally the only player in Game Seven that attempted a shot that was on the bench, <laughs> and the Hawks was. I mean, it wasn't that drastic, but it was you know the guys of like Tony Snell or. Um, Kongwu, like he wasn't playing that much. Like it, they have kind of shifted towards what the series dictates, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Um, so I, I think from that perspective too, I think that's like kind of an interesting wrinkle too. And then it's just the Bucks Hawks. It's just it, <laughs> there's so many ties between these two teams. The, the Bucks wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Hawks moving from Milwaukee. Like it's just like a bunch of things that. Um, they have to kind of deal with with this series. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really can't believe that we're here getting a box conference final. That's it is truly the stuff of dreams for me. Um, it's just I generally these conference finals are great. They're they're so cool. Most of what I'm seeing online says this, except people who are concerned trolling. You know, who work for ESPN or you know, and are like, really? You know, is this a good thing? This is the best thing, and this is the thing the league needs so that people can stop just worrying about, are the Warriors there? Are the Lakers there? It's, you know what? It's like, yeah, Trey Young and Devin Booker, maybe as the best examples, because Giannis is an MVP already, you know, the Clippers, you've got Paul George, you've got Kawhi if he's healthy, but take those two teams in particular, it's like, you if you want to move on, you know, Steph's not going to be there forever, Steph has pull, well, your two best contenders to have that impact and that kind of draw on eyes for people who like that kind of basketball. There they are. They're in the conference finals. So, you know what? Make a big deal of it. (laughs) Make a big deal of it. This is a really big moment for the NBA and its broadcast partners. And the ratings will be terrible. I'm sure it doesn't matter the product being good and you making the most of it. So that the, the kind of legacy of whatever, Whoever wins this, whoever makes the finals can carry on and be something the fans kind of, and even casual fans can bank in their memory and move forward with. It's a big deal. And just for like 
I mean, the Bucks are the only franchise here, really. The Hawks did win a championship, not in Atlanta. The Bucks are the only franchise in this with a championship. Mm-hmm. Like, which is I, one. It's not even just. It's not even just about winning titles. It's um, post merger. The Suns are the only team that have made it to the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like all the Bucks. I think they made the Suns made it. Their first appearance in the finals was like the year before the merger. Obviously, all the Bucks's um, two finals appearance came before that as well. Like again, this is. It seems like it's you know kind of the, the cool crowd, the teams that we kind of like have talked about like all the time of like, oh if they if everything breaks right for them, but like, it is and it isn't though. I mean the Clippers, yeah. kind of not. I mean they're just it's they're so historically downtrodden that that it's <laughs> kind of cool that the Clippers are gonna get to have their moment. Um, yes, I mean that is another key point, which is. The books are the only actual small market team here. <laughs> you know, yeah. the others are certainly top 10, but I think very close to top five markets. Like Atlanta and Phoenix are big, big deals. Like you're big talking. It's, it's the, not their fault that the teams have like historic or not Phoenix, obviously, but they've been in a drop for 10 years before this. But Atlanta, you know, made it. The only other time they made it to the conference finals was Bud, mm-hmm. the Bud year. So, yeah, it's, it's just. It, it's not necessarily about market franchises. It's just more about like franchises that like have had bad breaks happen to them. We know that very well around these parts. <laughs> yeah, and the thing with all of them is you don't have to go back very far at all to be like, just there's just complete and utter utter desolation. You know, yes. Just like what is this thing? You go back a couple of years for the Hawks. You go back a couple of years for the Suns, and you know you could keep going back multiple years. Like I'm just. I'd never really considered who was going to win executive of the year this year. And there's just something so jarring about James Jones winning that because has everyone forgotten how that started? It's like, it's not, it's not long ago, just how weird all of that was. You don't have to go back too far, really for Donald Sterling. (laughs) You could have said the same thing with Horace. I mean, like that, you know what I mean? Like that's, and I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, this is what, I don't know. It just there's something different about this. Obviously, <laughs> uh, the final four, if you will, and the teams that are in it, and just kind of like, I, I I saw some people talk about like how obviously COVID and just the season shutting down last year, and then this year kind of like rushing back, like it's created you know how we it's evened up the playing field like, a little. Yes. And I'm kind of thinking too, like, I don't think this is going to change because it, it it's, it starts with last year happening and having to finish the season in October or whatever it was. You take two months to come back for, to start this season. Now, if, you know, we've seen all the reports, if it starts, if training camp starts three months after the, this finals ends, like, We've seen all the the wave of injuries, all that stuff, and how it's affected. We've seen. The I saw the reports this morning. That was it. Well, with your shams, but it was like any players who make the finals who want to be part of you know Team USA at the Olympics, there will be a jet ready to take them directly from the finals to Tokyo. Which it's like maybe they'd like to you know stay a couple of days, have a parade, that kind of thing. Yeah. But just the, that nature of the timeline is insane. 
I mean, the, the other yeah. thing with that too, though, is, and it, it's been rare that you get like four teams like this getting their chance. These are four new emerging powers because you can have a team that kind of looks promising and everything. I think this is the point you have to get to for people to pay attention and for it to kind of shift how the trade market can work, how free agency can work. But, you know, any and all of these teams, rightly or wrongly, and how it will continue over the years is a different question. But if you're a free agent this summer, you'll be like, yeah, you know, I will go to the Hawks. You know, lots of young players. You're a ring chaser now. You're like, they got to the conference finals. They've got young guys who can carry me. I'll go there. Definitely you'll have people who go to Phoenix. Like, there are places where big stars late in their career. Big stars might be overselling it. Um, but high-profile players late in their career would often be quite happy to go just because of the cities more than anything and the climate and stuff like that. But I think there's there's other factors that will come into that. And we've already witnessed some of this with the books. Like, you yep. know, the books getting a PJ Tucker only comes about because of what you've done for a couple of years. PJ Tucker himself revealing the other teams you could have gone to were Miami and Brooklyn. And he went to Milwaukee and here he is. Like, that is representative of what this means and that also should contribute to a more even playing field longer term because you know if you're the lakers and the celtics and whoever you've more competition and that even adds to with a season like this like you know the knicks having a not terrible season i don't think is bad for business in any way and it's kind of an interesting juncture at the moment in the nba and particularly as a lot of the biggest stars are getting older, and there's been talk for quite some time. You know, the NBA really need to get on with the next generation and making sure everyone knows who they are just as much as they they know who LeBron and Steph and KD are. And here's a chance. You know, you're getting yeah. three of the players at least who are going to carry the league for the next ten years are right there. They're right there, front and center. It's just going to be a lot of fun. Like, I mean, we've kind of zoomed out from the books part of this, but I think it's. It's interesting to talk about and to think about and will continue to be as things go on. But this is a really big moment for the league and for NBA fans. It's something that is worth watching. And, you know, a team like the books, a market like the books could be the benefactors. It also doesn't do any one any harm. I was talking with a mutual friend of ours, Andrew Snyder, Hornets fan, who is incredibly happy to see a books Hawks conference finals. Because why wouldn't you be? If you're a Hornets fan, if you're a Pacers fan, if, you know, whatever it might be, it this is the kind of season where all of a sudden it's like, oh, look, it is possible, you know? We could do it too. And I think the NBA has needed that for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they historically the NBA has not been a league of parity. And whether this is parity or a blip, whatever you feel like it is, I obviously said my piece on it, but like, the more people, teams that have a bite at the apple, whether they even make it to the finals or not, um, the better the better that is for the league itself. It's not about this shallow, just kind of weird discussion about people clutching towards ratings or how are they going to market this and all that stuff. It's like, well, <laughs> it's basketball at the end of the day. That's their... That's how they should be marketing it. It's not about stars or whatever. So yeah, I, I I'm having fun, clearly, <laughs> but like it's just it's we're having fun. It's that's just all that matters. Where, sure. where we're at, exactly. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so we're not going to go too deep into Hawk-specific matchup stuff because we've got a jam-packed mailbag, uh, one of our most jam-packed ever, and I think it's going to take us into a lot of the things we'll talk about. But briefly, you know, broad strokes, Jordan, broad strokes. Where is your head at going into the series? What are you seeing as most important? Are you confident in the way that, I guess on paper, Bucks fans should be? Are you wary of a Hawks team that's got some real momentum, has clearly found something and got it going, and also has some of the kind of players and some of the traits in their team that I don't know if they still are, we're gonna we're about to find out, but have historically been major, major points of concern and weakness for the books. I I think it's clear talent wise, the Bucks have that in their favor. Um, yes, Drew has struggled, but I'm not, I'm certainly not worried about him in a, in an Eric Bledsoe sense. I, I still think what he has done to this point, there is something that you can kind of, you know, rely on. And granted, but he made some shots in a game seven. That's more than what, I mean... That's really it. I mean, if he, if he hadn't yeah. if he hadn't done that and they lost, I mean, well, one, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. <laughs> we wouldn't have to worry about how he'd play against the Hawks. But that's that's the key difference. Um, but by and large, Bucks have the talent advantage. However, the Hawks have elements, as you said, that I'm not queasy or. <laughs> Concerned, but it's kind of like it gives me pause. You know, you see Kevin Herter, um, you know, come out of nowhere not nowhere, but he's been a fine player, just not to this degree. No one, it's not like he's a breakthrough star. He's a breakthrough star right now, considering how he dismantled the Sixers and ruined their season. Um, but guys like Herter, McDonavich is a little bit injured, so that's kind of a question mark at this going into the series. But Gallinari, kind of these, you know, 
guys that could create shots off the dribble already kind of a you know <laughs> gotta keep your eye on them and just the spacing and kind of dynamic that's in play with the hawks that you know as great as the nets are obviously kevin durant james harden you know even on one leg essentially we saw a little bit of Kyrie irving before his sprained ankle they didn't have necessarily like they didn't have a like a gallinari on their on their team um granted joe harris shot the ball like crap uh, so guys like herder and Bogdanovich don't don't compare in that sense in terms of like recent performances but like there's more kind of complementary threats that I would be more worried about with the Hawks than Brooklyn. I'm, I was not worried about Bruce Brown making shots outside of his little, you know, floater. Um, Jeff Green, on the other hand, was different. <laughs> but yeah, there's more complementary threats with the Hawks than, say, the, the Nets and just kind of where, you know, where they're going to get shots from and just kind of the ways that you know, whether it's Toronto or Miami, we've seen the Bucks have problems um, defending very spaced out teams like that. And it's a matter of, you know, the Hawks hitting those shots, but it's also a matter of how does the, the Bucks defense transform to kind of not limit those shots, but make it tougher than, you know, we've historically seen. I'm very confident. I'm, I am very confident. I can't pretend to be otherwise. I, I'm not dismissive of the Hawks in any way. I'm very much admire what they've done to get here at the point in their journey they're at. Like we've talked about on multiple episodes, it's hard to get here. And the Bucks have done stuff like suffer through this and try to just claw their way one further ring up the ladder every year. And to just come burst on the scene, that's an achievement. But we also do know if we want to go back a couple of years, that can kind of be your best time to do that. And maybe some of the some of the naivety helps you, you know, um, you're not hurt by the things that you know or that you don't yet know. It's just you go and you play and if you get some breaks your way, well, you just kind of ride the, ride the, I don't know, what, what will we, ride the magic carpet, Jordan, for as long as it will carry you. And that that's kind of what the Hawks are doing right now. And who knows, maybe it will carry them all the way. It's not impossible. You're at the conference finals. You got a chance. What the books did against Miami gives me a lot of peace of mind. What they did the second time around, correct? Obviously, we don't even yeah. talk about the first time anymore. When I, <laughs> from now on, when I say what the books did against Miami, let's just assume you know it's the second time around. Um, what they did to Duncan Robinson, to Tyler Hero, to Kendrick Nunn, to even Goran Dragic had some good games. But you know they're the key kind of players, and when you look at the at the Atlanta profile as well. You're going to worry about similar things. They do have some different options. Someone like Gallo gives them a shooter capable of being at the level of some of those guys, but with much greater size. That could bring out some different looks for the books. I think they're actually equipped for that. Like that's, you know, Bobby Portis has had some rest. If you want someone who's got kind of, you know, near seven foot size, will play with the physicality that could bother Gallo and then is also be able to go punch or punch. This is where, you know, it might be Bobby's time. But just when you look at the overall picture, the Hawks have not been very good offensively. They are 0.1 per 100 possessions better than the Bucks in the playoffs. The Bucks have not been good offensively, and they have had to, like, particularly against the Nets, just grind their way through. 
the Hawks have had to do similar. And then the key difference is, you know, the Hawks have a 107.7 defensive rating. The Bucks have a 102.8 defensive rating. And that means Atlanta is going to meet more resistance than they have at this point. I also think the Bucks are going to meet considerably less resistance than they have. And mostly this comes down to size. Yeah. And we've been so obsessed for years with the books trying to overcome, like, you know, big, switchy defenders, the kind of players who can wall off Giannis, who can go and, you know, they can keep up with him as he's driving from the perimeter and they have the strength to just kind of battle with him inside. Hawks don't have that. They don't have it at all. And in Every, fact, they, they don't means... have the size for Chris. They don't have the size for Drew. Exactly. Across That's what I was saying. every like, position. It's, it's one a through five. Like, mm-hmm. we're talking about Trey Young, you know, I don't know, like, his physical profile and, like, what the percentile compared to, like, you know, other point guards in the league. But I'm pretty sure it's damn, damn low in terms of, like, he's, you know, 5'11", foot generously. Is he, yeah, like, is he not definitely the smallest, certainly, starting point guard in the league? I don't, can't think of anyone who's, like, even just generally, like, J.J. Beret is gone. Isaiah I Thomas is gone. Like, I don't... Yeah. He is an anomaly. I don't think there's, yeah. If he isn't the the gifted passer and shooter that he is, like he's not in the league, and we all know that. But he's one of the the most gifted shooters and passers. So all of that becomes irrelevant in terms of how he could still hurt you. But I just, it's interesting even to talk about like stuff the Hawks might do, and I think there could be role players in Bucks fans' minds they might fear, and you know, there's good reason for that given what's happened to the books, but I'll give an example. Like, people, I've already seen some people talk about Lou Williams. One Lou Williams isn't even really playing that much for the Hawks. He's averaging like 12 minutes per game in this playoff run. Sure, Lou Williams can come and have a game. We all know what he is as a scorer. What did what did the Hawks do if Lou Williams was on the floor? Like, what did the Hawks do to just stop the books from doing anything? How, how do you live with that? And particularly, like, you can't have Trey Young and Lou Williams on the floor. I mean, Bogdan's got size, too, even if I he's healthy. He... Like, him as a defender, this was a conversation we were having for but very he's... different reasons. But yeah. he's got to be important for them because he just has a bit of size. Like, Tony Snell hasn't been playing much. I don't see how Tony Snell can not play this series. They, they need Snell to play on Middleton. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think... I, I messaged you prior or uh, when game seven was happening because I, I thought Bogdanovich was hurt and because there was something he was he didn't he didn't play much late on like yeah. he didn't play very well in the game he's playing in a game seven now he, that that likely means he'll also play in a game one but you know the books have just gone through this like he it's it could be like the version of James Harden they just saw as opposed to what the best version of James Harden is an equivalent of that with, with Bogdan. Yeah, and he missed time with a, a fractured knee. It's not the same knee that's bothering him this time around. But, like, when things kind of – I mean, this is true of any player. Um, and I'm sure, you know, the Bucks, Bucks players right now that are playing heavy minutes and playing, you know, 50 minutes nearly a game by the end of the series against the Nets. Like, they're all feeling it. Let's not, you know, you know, kind of <laughs> chase around that fact. But, like – I think whatever happens, whatever is going on with Bogdanovich and just how healthy he is, that has ripple effects in terms of the rotation, in terms of who we see, guys like Snell, guys like Lou Williams. But it just kind of like, you kind of like, 
it's weird how we talk about how I'm kind of thinking about this series compared to the Nets. And you kind of think about like where the Nets eventually went in terms of who they played and how everything went together. Like a guy like Bruce Brown just doesn't exist on this Hawks team. And granted, he's he's an anomaly in terms of just like his role and what he does for the offense. You, you don't see six, four centers essentially um, that can guard the best wing defender on the buck or the best wing player on the bucks. But also but, the thing, the important point with that, and it goes back to even the beginning is like by the end of that series, the books had figured out Bruce Brown and they've, they've, yeah. they're now actually at a point at a team, which is really interesting just as long as it can stay like in the memory bank for Bud. Um, maybe even more importantly though, for like Giannis and Chris, I, yeah. I don't know what the puzzles that they haven't seen yet are at this point. I, I really don't know over Giannis and Chris's, you know, we'll say three-year run together, obviously shrinking down the totality of their time to the last three years as the, as the absolute pinnacle of that. What is the look they haven't seen? And which of them is still there for them to be figured out in this particular postseason? Now, I have no doubt a new challenge will come up from somewhere, but... Yeah. Even someone like, I I won't profess to be the world's foremost DeAndre Hunter expert, as in on exactly where his game is right now. But again, just in terms of general skill set and size, that's a big miss for a series like this. Big miss. Like, we're, I think, I think we, I'm still probably downplaying how much the Bucks are missing Dante right now. And granted, that some of that has been made up by the fact that PJ has been just kind of, everything they needed him to be um but can can i just can can i say something on that because i was thinking about this earlier yeah the books aren't missing dante at all they're missing a guard like who can play in those minutes that's not forbes level of like you have to worry about him defensively like honestly to me dante's time with the books is now at an end there's there's no there is no reason looking at an extension coming for him and everything else you have to worry about you were trying to trade him a year ago he's now got an injury but really more important than that is as much as it was a big loss for the team still is and it would be better to have him right now do they have a chance to go and win a championship may win a championship without him so that's not your priority i think you'd look at your roster building even just in terms of what Tucker has been, Tucker at his point in his career obviously isn't going to be part of your long-term planning, but just in terms of, okay, what ways can we do this? Is there better ways? Like, for the playoffs, for example, and this is a good example for a series, and I think once we get into the mailbag shortly, there's some mailbag questions that kind of get to, you know, would you make lineup changes? And I think there's, there is a case for it here. There, there sure is. Not make your lineup cra- changes also has Chris at the two. What can the Hawks do about that? Nothing. And it's really worked to the Bucks' advantage in the playoffs. Having the size, having the strength, and having Chris do literally his favorite thing in the world to do, shoot over smaller guys. (laughs) There was, what was that, the Rob Mahoney article? I think it came out exactly a week ago. Uh, It's like a second spectrum stat or something like that. Like 86% of Chris's shots in the post have come over smaller or mismatches like that's Chris in a nutshell and like for better for worse (laughs) sometimes but like 
I, I just I like to your point, I don't Hunter was the wing defender that would kind of give me pause about like how is Chris going to handle this? Granted, you know, DeAndre Hunter is a second year, you know, wing. Mm-hmm. Um you can't, you know, you don't know how he's gonna respond to playing in, you know, granted he played at Virginia and went to the title game um and won it all. But like it's a different ball game and and now it's just like okay you have like we said like it's Herder, Bogdanovich, Snell maybe coming up uh Solomon Hill like the Hawks both teams are gonna have to transform but I I think honestly I think a lot of it's gonna come down to the Hawks and are they gonna play small how much of a role they need Clint Capella for rebounding but what happens when you know the Bucks are beating them in terms of like you know transition or just doing different things that kind of they need Clint Capella for rebounding. Yeah. But is Clint Capella going to dominate the glass against the books? He's a really good rebounder. He's a tenacious rebounder, but he is undersized. Yes. And, you know, if the books do something which is very much just built into, one, the DNA of the player involved, but also has been at times in their team, not as much this year. But if Brooks out there, which Brook will be out there, Brook has had a phenomenal playoffs. The books have a lot to tank Brook Opus and for right he's... now. Brooke has had a lot of success defending against Capella. I know mm-hmm. it's, you know, Rockets, Capella, and James Harden, they had, like, you know, the guard exclusively his left hand and all that stuff. But, like, that stuff can carry over in terms of, you know. Well, there's there's also you don't have the fear. Like, yeah. Capella is obviously a better athlete than Brooke Lopez by quite a long way. But he's not explosive going to take you off the dribble. Like, he's not a – he can't shoot at all. He just it's all be vertical shooting. spacing. So – with his IQ, Brooke can play that game. But if to take it to the board, something which will be important, like if Brooke boxes out Clint Capella, something that Brooke is one of the top three players in the NBA at, what have the Hawks got left? You've got John Collins fighting Giannis for rebounds. I mean, John Collins, very good athlete, good size. He'll get some, but I'm gonna pick Giannis in those battles. You know, at least seven times out of ten. Yeah, and I think these are these are the problems the the Hawks have. Um, now we should flip this to the other side because I, I do think that's where it's key. Is just I think the books will be able to, even if the Hawks find some success. I think the books will show more resistance to what the Hawks could do than the Hawks will be able to do to the books. But with Trey Young, with Kevin Herter, uh, with Bogdan, with Danilo, uh, who am I missing? Lou Williams potentially, um, Tony Snell if he's playing with John Collins. You know, there's a lot of shooting here, a lot of shooting mm-hmm. here, and particularly among the backcourt and wings, the kind of shooting that if the books are overhelping or they're not quite as precise or as sharp as they need to be, we could get back to some of the most painful open tree point shots and it could be death by a thousand trees. Now, I do think there is something here that the Hawks are not necessarily the most dead eye team. Like, I, I maybe the best example of that it starts and finishes with Trey Young, who's a yeah. 33% three point shooter in the playoffs. Like he has got endless range. He could make a tree from anywhere at any point in time, and he could make a bunch and catch fire. But he is not like 
he's not Steph Curry. <laughs> it's, it's the thing. He's not. He might be right up there with kind of as close as you can get in a lot of ways, but he's not. And it's the thing the books have to be wary of. It's the thing where then if the books are playing bigger, like maybe that's where it gets tougher if you've got PJ Tucker and Brooke out there because they've got different battles and like neither guy at this point in their career is particularly tailor-made for chasing around the perimeter. And if PJ's out there in those kind of lineups, I think you really want him alongside Giannis as the 4-5 and it's just you're switching everything and you're trying to close space as quick as you can. Yeah. Maybe this is, again, maybe this is Bobby Portis's moment where the books have a way that they can retain some size that maybe the Hawks don't have an advantage of doing to play a certain way while also keeping their offense to a certain way, keeping something inside. But I don't want to get too tangled up in Bobby Portis's importance to the series, although I think there is a role, a much bigger role from here. It's... The thing is, like, and we've just kind of tipped our toe on a lot of it here. It's a fun series. Like, yes. there are there are great wrinkles to watch on both sides. I think the Bucks could win this very easily. I also think the Hawks could go out and take a game or two early on, and mm-hmm. then this becomes, you know, one hell of a series. So, really, everything everything is there. Everything is up for grabs. This is the conference finals. And part of the question, too, is, you know, how are the books holding up? How are the books holding up after the greatest war they've ever been in? What is the actual carryover of momentum and feel-good energy and having beaten the Nets? Like, does that count for something? Can you be carried on that energy through the rest of the season? Or is it something that at some point they could crash and burn? Certainly, if they got through this series, it might be something we talk about more because... You know, the West is pretty easy, right? Western Conference, the easy conference. Uh, <laughs> In these playoffs, certainly, um, if fully, we won't know till the season's over just how much it says about one team or how good they are, or two yeah. teams, and how much it says about other teams. But, you know, it's been an interesting playoffs over there. All right, let's get into the mailbag, because there's a lot here, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us a lot more books, Hawks, and I think some books, Nets to talk about as well. This is a this is a first for the Win and Six podcast. The first question of the mailbag comes from at Jordan Tresky. Jordan, do you want to explain yourself first? This is like this is very out of character. Um, did you want your name read out in the podcast? Was that sure? Yes, it's you pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I learned that lesson after our very first episode, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, from a Jordan Tresky. <laughs> What's more unexpected? Bucks winning Game 7 in OT against the Nets or Sheryl Crow coming for the crown of biggest celebrity Bucks fan? Ah, oh, good question. Whose crown, um, has, who crown, whose crown has she taken? I've seen... So, this is where Twitter is helpful in this sense. I don't think she has I've taken seen... the crown. I've just told it to people immediately. But go on, continue. Well, the one was Gucci Mane... But also an Atlanta, he's an Atlanta native, yeah. I believe. He's but he a also showed he's yeah he's a big Bucks fan. Remember he went to Toronto a couple years ago in conference finals. I've I've seen Gucci Mane at Hawks games though. 
See, uh, that's the thing. Maybe Giannis is his favorite player. Don't, don't know. This is not going to be a good series for the books in terms of the celebrity fan advantage. Just so everyone's clear on that. I not know, that the last had... series was good for that either, or most series ever. But this one yeah. will be particularly, you know, when you'll have like 50 different rappers where you're just like, really, they're all at the game and they're all sporting the Hawks. Yeah, of course they're just Atlanta. Yeah. Like, um, do you think the like big boy is going to be there? Big boy is going to be there. Sometimes he's got his own section. I would admit, I would think so. Ludacris, maybe Chris. Bruce. Yes, often there. Two chains, of course. I, Migos, he's of he's course, Hawks. will be there. He's a uh, College Park Skyhawks. Yeah, that's the affiliate name, right? Um, yeah. Migos, of course, will be there. Like this would this could go on and on. There will be people. Mostly people who are watching on League Pass or at least International League Pass will catch a lot of this. I don't. You probably weren't aware, like um, some of the luminaries at Game Seven against the Nets. Uh, Jason Sudeikis was there all series. He was having a lot of fun. Uh, Wim Butler our, and our the, there. The, I just uh, I just said Wim Butler because I don't know the other guy's name, but I did I did appreciate that they just termed it, it as a arcade fire. Oh really? He was next to, yeah, he was sitting next to him. Are you sure on that? I need to. I need I am, to go back I'm and positive. check the tape. Um. Yeah. So we're not working from a, a star advantage. So that's why we need Cheryl. We need Cheryl. I've de- derailed your question. Okay. So for you, <laughs> the answer is yes. She is the biggest celebrity books fan. I I'm just saying. I think the. I'm not saying that she's the biggest celebrity books fan. I'm just saying. What about JJ Watt or Aaron Rodgers? See, Rogers, it's dicey because he's... Okay, JJ Watt. Turn out for what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Cheryl Crow's been around a long time, though. Lil Jon could be at some of those Hawks games, too. Oh, yeah. As you you drop, turn down for what? That's where we bring David If JJ Watt travels on the road, you know, this could be... The new Drew Bledsoe um, scenario, yeah. Little John versus JJ Watt. There you go, uh, and then we bring Gruber to kind of balance out the forces. Yeah. Not sure if that balances it. Um, <laughs> from at Turtle underscore Colonel, yes, everyone. This is really the way the first two questions of the mailbag are taken. Which Cheryl Crow song should be our victory song? I, I first thought of this and I realized I was I actually was mixing Cheryl Crow with Shania Twain. And, oh, that's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. Right and there. then when I did mentally readjust, I was like, I don't know if I know a Cheryl Crow song other than Tomorrow Never Dies. Now, maybe there's plenty. Yes. That, yes, she yeah. did a Bond song. Not, if you're listening, no offense, Cheryl, come on the pod. Uh, not the most memorable Bond song of all time. Nor but, movie. Nor movie, for sure. Nor movie. But you should do a Bond song. Um, but you were going to make the point, I assume, that I might think I don't know these songs, but if I was to hear them... But I think that the... it's also a cultural thing because... Definitely, her... definitely. Yeah, because she was, I would say, probably Pete Crow was <laughs> mid-90s to... This is amazing. Mid two thousands would say, right. but it's one of those things where we have a lot of adult contemporary radio stations around here. Sure, and 
it's like, oh, I've heard that song. Where do, have I heard it? Oh, it's having that on. Like, this is before Spotify, iTunes, all this stuff of, like, you can only listen to the radio. For the real of, heads. The real show yeah. crow heads. This is the crew, the crow heads. The crow crew. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I was thinking, I mean, Soak Up the Sun is obviously. New fan section, the crow's nest. Could just be her and her family, you know, perched up in a nest. Did you see that she the showed, like, game? Right. Yeah. That was the crow's nest there. And it was the Drew game winner. She saw a game winner. Um, so we need to get her to Atlanta. Is that it? And now to Milwaukee. It's not that far of a drive. I assume that she's from Nashville or Liberty Yeah, it's well, you know, it seems logical. You know, the kind yeah, of artist she is. That's what the crow's nest be, is. Right? <laughs> this is. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've had this kind of segment of Winner Six. So Jordan's very pleased. Um, that was for all the, you know, the Chris Gaines. Is that the name? Yes, it was. Chris Gaines, Garth Brooks. That was a deep, you know, deep in the back of my mind. I had to pull that from there. <laughs> uh, that's a win in 60 quote. If you're around to remember the Chris Gaines days, congratulations <laughs> and thank you. Pain and Gaines. From at Wesley Bill, will this series be a bounce back for Drew? I, yeah, I do you think can't, so. You can't play worse in terms of offense. I mean, also. This is just, he's going to have a better matchup. It's going to have oh, a better matchup. Yeah. Like, for as yeah. good as Trey Young is, like, this is, like, for Trey, from Trey Young's perspective, this is possibly the nightmare point guard uh, yes. matchup he's going to have, like it is for most point guards around the NBA. But I, I do think with Young's lack of size, it's really the case here. And I think that is a good starting point and will hopefully feel some more offense. But the same applies, and something that I, you know, something we could also talk about and have talked about with Giannis. I would like Drew Holiday to, you know, spend a bit more time in this series thinking about how he's not the world's greatest jump shooter and just, you know, take a smaller guy to the rim. You know, post up. If you are if you can get near Trey Young, this really applies for the whole team. Like, they're going to try to hide him, but I don't know if you can, like... If I, I think I briefly listened to the low post section about previewing the, the series and Zach Lowe made the point of like if the Bucks are starting PJ Tucker, that's kind of the obvious um you know, hide tray on there, but I don't think it's also It's not if the Bucks decided to work that, which I don't think they would or necessarily should like over the top. But if they did, like, Trey Young has nothing there. You know, the idea of hiding is hiding someone somewhere where there might be, you know, a way where you're going to get away with it. <laughs> There's no getting away with it. That's the thing. There's only bad choices, and that's the least of a bad bunch because he's likely going to have the fewest shots, fewest touches, and that's where you hope to get really, away with it's it. It's a corner duty. Yeah, but, I mean, you'll change it up if he's got Trey Young on him. If that's the yeah. case, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to give it to you in the corner, but feel free to, like, back all the way in from there and heads up and have cutters, you know, as a strategy, if the books could really get cutting, there'll be so many options off of that. I mean... And, of course, I mean, if you do that, too, PJ's going to be easily 
able to fly in, grab offensive boards. How many times have we seen that come up big in, in the Nets series? Did it against much bigger guys against the Nets, so. Yeah. Uh, from at MK Robert, do you think the Bucks make a change to the starting lineup? No, I don't. No. I, I, I this, is the, you... this is the starting lineup now. Yeah. And I, 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 granted, it was going into the Nets series, all that stuff kind of, we saw the the Pat game four against the Heat, but that, you know, that's the only contender, though, right? Like, I mean, because obviously Forbes just had a terrible <clears throat> series. Bobby's tougher to... Well, that's maybe unfair, but when it came down to it, no shame with the team it was, but Bud made a call with Bobby Portis, and that call was proven completely right because you just have to look at how the series and played it's... out from that point. It just yeah. it became a different series where the smallest margins could work against you, and the small margin could even be oh, Bobby's out there, he can take some shots and get some points. And if it's not the night where he gets some points, well, then the books are at home now. It's a re- it's the thing about the Portis kind of, you know, benching uh, against the Nets is that he offers a very redundant skill set to Brooke. He doesn't, there's nothing <laughs> different in terms of offensive. Defense, I mean, we the Bucks were able to play Brooke Lopez for 48 minutes in a game seven and not have to worry about it. That's that would not be the case with Bobby Portis in 18 minutes or whatever the case may be. Like he's proved useful to the Bucks this year, all that stuff that doesn't change. But he has limitations, and he just doesn't. For how the Bucks play defense or defensively, and how they stuck to their ways in that sense of you know drop playing more, kind of pressuring the ball, all that stuff. Just Bobby can't do that. We've seen them more, more you know, time and again this season. Um, but yeah, I think they're not going to go up against the Nets this series, and I think there's going to be more of a role for him this time around. But Pat is Pat is the adjustment. If if something in this series happens that they need to make that change, Pat is the change. And on his playoff play, I think he he's earned that. And I I think even yep. his most notable critics would probably be like. Yeah, sure. I guess the books have found a way to make it work a lot of the time. And he is just generally playing up to the occasion, which is true for a lot of books players. And I, I do think that's been true of Bobby Portis so far. And I think will be true of Bobby Portis even more so when he gets back on the floor. Like yeah. his attitude, certainly outwardly, but I just think inwardly too. Like there's just no reason to doubt it has been as positive as can be. Like he's on a team that could win a championship and that is very far from what his career journey has been so far. He's had a good individual season already. So, you know, there's, there is no reason he's got all of the good stuff banked. It's like, he's shown what he could do. He can go elsewhere and get a payday if he wants to, but he could also be a part of something special to win a ring. It's like, uh, it's probably pretty close to what his dream season was already. And there may be room for some other strong moments for him that further kind of bolster his case. Yep. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds, honestly. From a pencil two two nine two, does Bud step down or be fired even if he wins the title? No, honestly, i i really I really want to talk about this and also not talk about it. Like, there's so much out there about this. I get it. I get it. We're like. Rick Carlisle could be the coach by now if things had gone differently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly would be, you know, getting very agitated if he wasn't. But things have gone the way they've gone. The books are in a conference final. Bud made good calls to get them there. 
was he perfect? No, he was not. Unfortunately, no coach is perfect. and He is more flawed than many. But they're there. Is he getting fired before the end of the season? No. No. We've now reached a point where there's just there's no there's no gain in any of this. There's no gain. I I just I don't see what the point of us debating it is, because I I do think I I get the question. I get the question because this season and his job like being on a knife edge on it. So it is a tough thing to kind of grapple with and come down. Okay, but then it's there. There is just there's almost a cognitive dissonance. We are trying to work out, but but he's bad but he might be about to win the NBA championship. And the answer is, if he wins the NBA championship, he's not going anywhere, nor should he. Because and he's going to get a contract extension. He's going to get a contract. He might get a statue. Like, yeah. And that that is fine. And everyone should be bored and happy for that. Do you know how difficult this is? Do you know how painful even the journey of recent years, let alone the whole franchise's history? Like, just to win one more championship for this franchise. One more will be the yeah. biggest deal in the world. If they find a way to do it, it will it will be in part down to Bud. <laughs> that will, you know, it will take a lot of distance, I think, for the narrative to come around on that in a way that really reflects positive. But there is a lot there from how he actually reworked the team. Like, there's a very neat zoomed out narrative for what Bud did from taking over the books to what we could be a few weeks weeks away from Bud doing. And it's like, I'm saying win the championship. One coach, one coach in books yes. franchise history has got to the finals. Like Don Nelson was an incredible coach. And I, I did think about this a bit last week too. Incredible coach, one of the best coaches ever. One of the winningest, the word I hate, terrible American sports word that isn't really a word. <laughs> one of the most winningest coaches in NBA history. The, right? Second, uh, Pop, he's, I think, passed him. He's number two now, yeah. Yeah. He fell on his face every year in the playoffs. Multiple times. Every year. The Bucks did it for a decade with a really good team. They just fell flat on their face. It's it just... And I know that there are people listening who were around for that, unlike you or I, and who watched that and have that kind of stored, and there are people who engage with this, and they probably view all of it in a much more healthy and measured way. But I, I do think... The whole thing with the coach now is coming down to something. It came up with something else we talked about a while ago. I think there's a real thing about this idealistic notion of basketball that has flooded through um, kind of Twitter basketball discourse and fandom, which I appreciate and I get the idea of, which is, you know, always, you know, best you can get. What's just always the best. Don't settle for this. You could be better. You could be better. You could do this. You could do this. It's a good way to live your life. It's a good way to generally look at things. It's also just incredibly naive when it comes to professional sports. Yeah, It's like doing the thing is really hard. If you do the thing, everything else gets forgotten. And it it really should. Like, I have no problem admitting how flawed Bud is and talking about it. And who knows, we may be talking about it in the summer regardless of what happens. It's not something that if the books win a championship and we do a mailbag three days later that I'm going to be entertaining questions about you know, they need to fire Bud, right? No, that's completely moronic. Like, it's just, it is not how pro sports work. And it's also, it's living in a, in a fantasy sports, a 2K kind of 
mindset it's, to just imagine that you're tanking or you're on the way up there's but it's the also they're, they're yeah. real people Re- everyone involved in this is real people and the next person involved is a real person so if bud gets to the finals gets further than he's ever got before or if he goes and wins the championship and the books fire him what message does that send to the players what message does it send to the assistants, some of which, if they're still, if they haven't already taken other jobs, which could happen by then, could be in the mix. What message does it send to Rick Carlisle, president of the, the Coaches Association, um, that's like, oh yeah, okay, the last guy made the finals, we just fired him. It's just, there's, there's very little to gain there. It doesn't mean you don't get people, but I do think it's one of these things that would that have a positive impact on anything for the books long term? Anything at all? No. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't keep Bud and then by next season you're like, this isn't working and he might be like, you know, I'll step away. But I don't think he's going to step away right after winning a championship and I certainly, certainly don't think he'll be fired. From what we've heard already, he won't be fired. And if we rewound the clock back, not very far before the playoffs, you're like, so, you know, they're going to beat the Heat and then they're going to beat the Nets. And we'd all said, okay, yeah, the, that's... Bud, Bud's earned his Bud shot for another year. Yeah. He's he's won, shown something which has happened, you know, repeatedly as much as it's been allowed. The Raptors was the opportunity they didn't get, but through his time and really just through this era of the team, even going before him, the books as a whole have found a way to come back, maybe not as always convincingly, but conquer their demons a year later. Yep. You know, maybe that's their year late to everything, but that is, they've figured something out, they found an adjustment. That is not the ideal solution, but when something has gone wrong, then the only thing left for you to do is, well, let's go and you know prove we can get past that a year later. They've done that with the Heat. They did it in spectacular fashion with the Heat. They then got past the Nets, a challenge that it really looked like for quite a while they might have needed another year to have a chance at, and maybe mm-hmm. never had a good chance again. Like, I I don't want it. There is a there is a full podcast on. Bud's coaching in the playoffs and the good and bad of that for us to have at some point because there are things that he really deserves his credit for in game six, game seven, that kind of that chunk of the series in particular. Um, that goes without saying. I'm not going to be, you know, there's certain games I am not going to be holding up on a pedestal, but we would talk about them for the opposite reason. They're just as important. But the Bucks made some key, key moves when it matters. Like, Look at the minutes totals. Look at they played a six man rotation. You know, they leaned on guys heavier than the Nets did, really, um, barring the exception of of KD. You know. Yeah. It's it's time for this to just be put to bed and for people to enjoy sports and not like Twitter cultism for a few weeks. Just a few weeks. You may never see the books in the places they could be in the next few weeks. It may never happen again. There are people who probably thought they would see that, you know, pretty soon again. And it's now 50 years later. Many of them may be dead. Yeah. Like that, that is the reality of how this works. I am personally not. This is, this is the, the end of it until we're on a post game pod in a few days. And Ty and Rohan are melting down and then we're doing it. But I'm, I'm just personally not interested in doing beyond the game to game right now, beyond the game to game. The idea of, does he get fired if he wins the championship? I can't do it. It's one, it's just, it's madness. 
It's madness. Why would anyone be having this conversation? If he wins a championship, I don't care. I don't care about any of it. They've won the yeah. championship. We'll just worry about that for a while. Yeah. My thoughts exactly. That's not going to be a popular opinion. But anyway, I've never, never been one for popular opinions, Jordan. <laughs> From at Ewing and Oz, can you forecast the book's rotation? Not easily, because it's going mean, to see how deep they go. My gut instinct is my gut instinct is they don't go as deep as we expect, but that's going to depend on just how good guys are feeling, how well they're holding up. But this could be a series where people are like, Jesus, will Bud just put another guy in the game? Because sure. I, I think they have now trended that way, and they're obviously seeing the benefits from that, that we all would have liked to see a year or two earlier. Um, we know six players who apply. Yeah, I, I think there's minutes for Bobby, and Bryn will get his chances. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be up to Bryn to find something and show something again. Otherwise, I think this is gonna be at most a seven man rotation. I would agree with that. I, I we're past the Teague experience. You know, it could be a revenge series. I the game. I keep saying there's a game there, and this could be the time. You know, <laughs> I'll just call for the sake of the revenge game. I'll continue to call it Phillips Arena. You know, you get Jeff Teague out. He can shrug after he drops thirty six points in the Hawks to, you know, win game finals. three. Come on, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't see anybody else really cracking it maybe we see outside of the occasional Thanasis kind of he comes in at the end of the quarters or say if someone gets in foul trouble sorry Thanasis I forgot Thanasis will get his seconds yeah but (laughs) um yeah I don't see I don't see anything outside of like cameos of for you know what Elijah Bryant maybe Teague all that's foul trouble really or injury too yeah exactly exactly it's someone gassing out. It's all of that stuff. But in terms of actual real rotation minutes, in terms of players you're going to see play 10 minutes plus, I think we're we're down to seven guys. And who knows? That could get itself right back to the six guys that it was for game seven before this, the series is over too. And the other part of this question, ATL key bench pieces are Gallo and Sweet Lou. Does that mean a return to an eight-man with Portis and Brin? I mean, yeah, they'll have a look at it. But... I wouldn't. I would not bank on Lou Williams being a part of the Hawks rotation for all of this series. I would not bank on that. I might be TBD on that one. I, I think he'll get his chances. But let's like, also hurt her. Books her start at home. Books have not lost a home game yet, right? No. No, they haven't. So, like, let's say. A lot of the stuff we talked about, how the books can exploit the Hawks defensively, plays out, and the books go two zero up. I don't think the response is going to be more Lou will when the series goes back to Atlanta at that point. Like I, yeah. I don't. I'm not convinced on how much the Williams will play. Yeah, I mean, obviously they haven't had the need to either when Kevin Herter's you know dropping twenty seven points in an elimination game, do a die game, so. It's kind of like hand in hand about you know where other players are at and where the rotation is. Bogdanovich, I'm going to keep hammering this how healthy he is either. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think that's where we're at. From an MK Robert, are you concerned the books might wear out in this series after the war against the Nets? Yes. I'm not quite. I, w- I wouldn't say, I, w- I don't know about Bucks. I'd be concerned that if everything goes well, they may they may wear out around later. Um, and, you know, it would probably be in their interest, <laughs> in the interest of trying to win it all, the quicker they could get this one done, the better. Because they've had the rest advantage this time. They yes. could be on the side of a short turnaround going into the finals, coming the other I think side. They had the rest advantage both times, right? Take yeah, them? but with the head Not start that the Western much. Conference Finals have got. Oh, yeah. That's that's possibly not going to be the case. And I, maybe people have differing opinions. I I don't think that series is going to be too long. I, I think, think the, so the Suns are going to make short work of the Clippers. Um, unless there's some sort of quiet miracle, which who knows anything about that still. Very weird, so... Um, Very quiet esque in terms of how it's been. Is Uncle Dennis uh, involved? That's uh, who knows. He was last time when he got a knee injury. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely was. You are you concerned? Was this what you were going to say though to the question? You're are you intrigued by the Hawks possibly being? Well, no, I was going to say the Hawks. I mean, it's obvious the Hawks have like the same kind they're, of. They're banged up more too, but possibly. Out of all the, I was. I'm gonna say I don't know if I'm worried about the Bucks as a whole, save for like PJ, but I'm worried about Giannis. Yeah, because I mean we saw it in Game Seven. I don't know whether it's that hip injury or hip like knock that he got in Game Six or whatever, but there's something we right, do. I mean, we we have a question about this coming up um, about is he injured, and my answer is. I don't think so, and probably yes, because most players are probably somewhat injured at this point. I don't think there's anything major there. His knee is bleeding after end of every game, which is not an unusual thing for Giannis, and is also quite unusual, like for human beings. <laughs> like it's just that I don't know what that is. When did he get like a really bad cut that he keeps every game? There's fresh blood there on on his kind of on the sleeve on his knee. When he's doing like post game interviews, um, a lot of Bruce Brown scratches. That's how tall Giannis is. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of small hawks to scratch down at the knees in this series too. Um, <laughs> I'm, I still, I think he's fine. I think no more so, less so than previous years. Uh, he's gonna gas out if they need him to go deep in games. That's but what we happens. Also... But he actually fought through one of those and won and did. The, did the thing like not yeah. convincingly but he's gonna gas out every time this is who he is as a player i don't understand this it's i don't think it's just uh, oh, think you know it's... he's not conditioned well enough i don't think that's it i just think it's the way he plays his body type like none of this is kind of you know that it basically defies science what he's doing anyway. related knee problem i mean the jumper's knee and all that stuff way back sure. like it I, I think that's it's yeah, he's not hurt. I, I think you know everybody that's playing that's healthy in all series. Like that's kind of where we're at. But it's he may not as feel as fresh as you or I coming off the couch. Is basically oh, yeah. it. exactly. Like, yeah, say. yeah. Um, from at Ewing and Oz, where could ATL expose this Milwaukee defense? Shooting, shooting. three point shooting, um, corner shooters, 
ball movement, players moving, you know, the usual nightmares. The Bucks don't get back in transition and give. I mean, the only threes that Joe Harris hit this in this series were <laughs> felt like the Bucks not getting back in transition. Game sevens are a different beast, and I wonder if I could have watched. Although the the neutrals seem to enjoy Bucks Nets game seven, and it definitely it did have a spell in the second half where I think the basketball was just actually legitimately good. It had some really ugly spells too, but there was a time where both teams got scoring and just the level of competition. I I watched game seven of uh, Hawk Sixers. It was terrible. Like both of those teams just looked terrible. And maybe that is just how everyone looks. Because it's a game seven. There's not a whole lot pretty about it. After is one team has just not shown up, I think is really the way that works out. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like I think we really learn a lot game one or two in this series. Like if the books really come out and deliver in a way that's you know, the good version of the books. This series could be over in a heartbeat. But it's if the Hawks find something right from the beginning. It's like if if the Bucks just give them a foothold, if they give them room to breed, um, anything to cling on to, it could go the other way quite quickly too, and it will get dangerous. Like it's the Sixers will literally um testify to this. You do not want to find yourself in close games with this team. Find yourself in close games with this team, it could go wrong. Um, because something else, maybe we're early, they've got a lot of guys who will knock down free throws. And if the Bucks are in a close game with this team, the Bucks have a lot of guys who may not knock down free throws, and one in particular, as we all know about. So, I think, you know, if the Bucks can go and do their thing, play their way, not something they've always been able to draw upon, I think this will be pretty easy. But if the Hawks can just stop them from doing that and find a way in, I, this is this is a real series. From an MK Robert, who's the X factor for the books in this series? We just have some breaking news. We do have some breaking news. I was the breaking news is that Chris Middleton is going to the Olympics. I was hoping this would happen for him mm-hmm. because one, he did the thing whereas you go when other players don't want to go um and with his career his profile everything's still on the rise to a point now where i I think he deserves a spot in an olympic team and i think the guys playing with him would also be like yeah you know he belongs and we're happy to have him out there very cool though yeah very cool uh he might be is he gonna miss a parade if it gets that is he gonna miss a parade to fly to tokyo that jet is waiting for him, apparently. Is that Jason Terry? He's waiting for the parade? Exactly. What was the question? Can we get Jet? Can Jet play some guard minutes? Why Why did we bring Jeff Teague in when they could have brought Jet back? I think they meant Jet Teague. Jet? Uh, that was terrible. Uh, that was really bad. It was The question was from an MK, Robert, who is the X Factor for the books in this series? Chris. Drew. Oh, I just I, I I'm more confident in Chris right now, and in how the matchups work for him. I think it's right there for Drew, and if Drew can win the matchup, like it's there for him. I mean, what what are we talking about then? 
like if Drew gets the better Trey Young, the books are cruising Drew to the finals. It's that simple. Yeah. But go on. You said Chris, so I want to hear some more. Um, Unless you're backpedaling furiously there. It's maybe a little... <laughs> it's a valid It's a valid uh, reason to go with Drew, considering where we're coming from. But also, you know, I think this series, this is going to be the best matchups he's going to have throughout this playoff run. Um, I'm trying. To, who who guarded Jesus, him? In the- I just thought about the possibility of seeing Jay Crowder in the finals. This hadn't occurred to me until now. What bridges? I, I just there's scar tissue um, on not just Chris matchup, but just on like you know Jay Crowder pouring in trees. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't just hadn't really thought about it. I haven't been thinking ahead like that. But just as you're talking about matchups, I was like, what could be ahead? Oh no. Um, but continue. No, I, I just think, you know, he has, as we talked about, the size and length scoring advantage that he is going to have over, you know, good Hawks players, not necessarily upstanding defenders. Um, I just think it's it's there for him to really have probably his best series of the playoff run, and that's saying something. Um, I just think I, I just think it's there. All the pieces are there for him to really take advantage of where of what this Hawks team is, and just kind of really take the reins for the Bucks offense. If we idealize it like how we want to, um, but it, even in the sense that how the Bucks have played against the Nets, and granted, it was you know <laughs> it was nerve wracking to see you know just kind of be so reliant on one on one opportunities, but. Chris is the best uh, bucket getter on the Bucks. Bar none. We, he's their closer. He's, he's their closer, closer in every way. He's their. He is now. I honestly think it's a really important evolution because the thing that they were consistently doing more than anything that wasn't working over the last few years is the ball was in Giannis's hands late on, and Giannis was being forced into making decisions one that I don't think he's very good at, and two that he's not best equipped for. And the ball now goes in Chris's hands. And maybe that means Giannis doesn't touch the ball for two or three minutes. But we do not find ourselves collectively, books Twitter, you do not look on it and see pure meltdown, like say in the Jason Kidd era, where Giannis would not be touching the ball late in the game. Because, one, the results are generally positive. Like, it, they're just finding ways to get it done. And that is... That is one, what the mid-range shot is. That is two, what Chris Middleton's game is. It's just like, keep the scoreboard ticking over. And never is that more important than in the playoffs and certainly in the latter rounds of the playoffs. And add to that, improves passing someone who is reliable as a playmaker and the fact that both Giannis and Drew and their skill set just kind of, I think, is a nice mesh of being off of him and off of the ball in those moments. It's, yeah, it's, it's a big... It's a big, big moment, a big playoff run for him. Uh, next question, appropriately, from at David Dunn 21. To ensure a trip to the finals, isn't it time to bring back Ja Rule to remove the curse? Nah, Rule. No. Nah, Rule. Let's <laughs> no. um, not. We don't ever need to go back to any of that stuff. Uh, again, this is not the series for the books to get into any rapper-related stuff. One, I can think of multiple 
notable examples where that has not worked well for the books in recent years. Yes. Um, and two, the Hawks have all of the ammunition. So just, you know, let's sit out any kind of one, just generally, I think sitting out Ja Rule is a good decision. Um, mm-hmm. But for the books, even more so. So let's sit that one out. Maybe all the curses are lifted already. I don't know why. I don't know what will have done it. But there's hope. That's all we can ask for, right? Mm-hmm. From MK, Robert, what's more important in this series? Maintain the same level of defensive intensity or opening up the offense? Defensive intensity for me. It's your biggest advantage in this series. If you... I mean, it's part of... This is where it's interesting because I think the style of what a lot of what the Hawks will do is closer to the Heat. But the rules for the Net series and how the Net series played out for all its good and bad and why the Bucks ultimately won it was it didn't turn into let's outscore the Nets at their own game. Which, honestly, I thought it might have had to, to win it. But when yeah. when the series actually played out, it was like, no, the Bucks could stop them. And in reality, the only way the books had a chance of beating them was stopping them. Stop the Hawks from torching you and you've nothing to worry about. If they're not having massive team outliers from three-point range, if they're not getting easy points by surprise inside, they just do not have a way to win. So if the books can be what they have been defensively, I think the offensive advantages that are there, just personnel and matchup wise, will be will be very strongly in their favor and give them a good platform to get their own points and to win this series. Yeah. From at GMGTCom one zero five two, do you think Chris has finally cracked the glass ceiling into being considered a respectable wingman on a championship team? I mean, our timing to get to this is interesting after the breaking news we just got to. <laughs> that would kind of point to it in some ways. There are still things with the books dynamic that are weird that will not be certain until a trophy is in someone's hands. I, I think that's where I'm at on it. I think Middleton is having a very good postseason. The reality remains... He is not Giannis. He may be better equipped for some of these moments than Giannis. But if this doesn't work, the books aren't going to be looking away from Giannis. They're going to be looking away from Chris. So he's also the guy who is delivering what they need to. But I think on an individual level, he needs to do that more than anyone too. I think he's got his respect from his peers. I think Chris Middleton has beaten enough like really good teams, regular season think... and postseason, and made big shots over star players and fought true. Like, when, like game seven, he came up with some really good defense on Durant, which brings was, back yeah. to some of the defense he played against Kawhi um, in that Raptor series, where it's like, that is not the guy that we associate him being all the time, all year round, year to year. But he has had those moments where big star playoff series where he will he will go to battle on the defensive end and he'll actually show something good there and he can then still, most of the time, um, find what he needs to give the books something offensively. I don't think it's necessarily from a, you know, player's respect, all that stuff. It's just the balance of how the Bucks have played and maximizing Giannis. Um, that story, again, I 
talked about earlier, the Rob Mahoney story, Chris, Chris's role under Bud when everything first came together was not what it was now. And couldn't be further away from it. It could have exactly. It could not be further away from it. And it did not, was not the best use of his skills. We saw him struggle against Toronto offensively. Granted the Celtics series, he always kills the Celtics. We all know that, that kind of thing. <laughs> but like, I think the he was the reason... first one to rating stamp on Loki. <laughs> exactly. Where's the heart? Where's the heart that they needed? Anyway, um, I don't think it's necessarily this. How we talk, how Bucks fans talk about Chris Middleton is going to be so. It's it's different than how like people that watch basketball and really take advantage or take you know pride in trying to get a feel of every team and just where you know how teams are built and all that stuff. It's I think it's more of like a Bucks problem in terms of how Bucks fans view Chris and how he has to play a certain role off of Giannis and how the Bucks have had to balance you know how we talked about Giannis before like running into that wall you can only run into it so many times and say hey Giannis we're going to do it again they are not doing that when it matters most this year and that's fundamentally one of the biggest differences that we see with this Bucks team and trusting Chris yes and trusting Chris in this sense has paid off wonderfully they're going to the conference finals the second time in three years he's you know he's I'm not saying he's a perfect player, but like we see the the power in time in terms of like putting the hand putting the ball in the hands of your best scorer that can do it from all lengths of the floor. We love Giannis. It's the net gain, right? It's like yes. that's the thing. It's not you're not looking at him like say for example, although this is maybe not a good example because this player, well, Blows hot and cold, we'll say. But you're not looking at him as in like he's Paul George, as in the best version of Paul George. He's not. He's not at that level necessarily. But what the books are getting out of even Giannis by what Chris does, what you're just gaining all around, all around from all your players, it's a massive net gain compared to what they were doing two years ago. And that's enough. Like I think this role suits Chris better, so it's raising what you get from him. It's raising his game, but it's also making it tougher for opposing teams to take away from Giannis and you don't have a bud so now you have a Drew Holiday and you know it all comes together as something of a perfect storm so far it's working let's hope it continues to work at David Dunn 21 does note this was in response to your own mailbag question that you are still the biggest books fan celebrity Jordan <laughs> so there's that um <laughs> from at Rustbrick 44 if you have to play one of Elijah Bryant, Jeff Teague, or Sam Merrill in the Hawks series, who do you choose? Sam Merrill. Sam Merrill, no disrespect. I hope Sam Merrill becomes a role player in years to come. He is currently a meme. He is currently a meme. I don't did you see the Sam Merrill meme? The behind-the-scenes video where the books got back into the locker room. And Sam I saw Merrill, the video. He's just resting. Like... <laughs> He's just leaning against like Giannis's locker with kind of a, a half smile on his face. He's there in body. Is he there in mind? I don't know. There's just like, it's like a fan has found themselves. There's just the whole thing. There's an energy to it that is, is interesting. Um, if Sam Merrill, to go back to my earlier point on Bud, that five minute point, if Sam Merrill is playing minutes in the conference finals, like actual minutes, I'll be 
we'll be changing the name of the podcast to like Fire Butt. That's. Oh, I thought you were gonna say if he's playing minutes, it usually means a good thing. No, no, that is not. Well, <laughs> I'm saying actual minutes was the key. Yeah, I'd love to see him playing. You know, all four quarters under certain circumstances, but. As for the other two, I mean, this is where the disconnect exists. This is the the biggest, the biggest kind of the schism in the Eurostep podcast network is those of us who appreciate and understand that Elijah Bryant is in fact very good, and that's me and you. And on the other side, Tyne Rohan, who every time he plays, they're still in. The, they're like Elijah Bryant in this economy, essentially. Um, if there's fail problems or whatever and he needs to play, I have more trust in him than I have most other options out there. I just think he's... It comes down to physical tools, general skills, age and experience profile. Like, he's really not in the NBA very long at all, but he's tested, and he's tested in big games too. I... To me, he is the guy who makes sense out of some of those options if the books are having, for whatever reason, to go deeper down the bench. There could be some Teague minutes. There could be some Teague minutes for a reason. And also, like, if the Hawks are going to play a lot of Lou Williams, I mean, yeah, this could be a series where you can play Jeff Teague. But maybe don't get into, oh, they're doing that so we can do this and just try to literally like snuff out what they're doing at the source like don't just take oh we can we can loosen things up because they're doing this no no just punish them for what they're doing and move on to the next round please books from at bballer 303 everyone was talking about how exhausted Giannis looked in the last game but he was also obviously limping it seemed like a knee issue do you think his minutes uh will be significantly limited in the first few games of the hawks they will not be limited Barring further, it's gonna depend on, on what the game, how the game shakes out. Yeah, ideally he won't have to play more than forty minutes. Like that's the the dream scenario. Yep. Um, that was also the dream scenario against the Nets, although it was much more unlikely that it would happen. But that's the dream scenario. I didn't feel he was more obviously limping than ever. I know all of the attention went to all of this. Maybe it's just because my mind has been made up on this three years ago. This is one of his biggest problems is that when he's asked to do this and when he wants to do it too, like there's no doubting that he can't do it. He can't at the intensity that he does everything else. It's just not possible to go and play long stints and nearly all of the game playing the way he does. And every time it happens, you actually get to watch the on-court consequences. Luckily, he actually gets fouled quite a bit because otherwise, you know, we'd be watching those consequences because he wouldn't be appearing in screen on like an offensive play or a defensive play, as there were a couple of instances of. But instead, most of the time, you know, the lesser of two evils, not a great spot to be, is that he airballs a free throw and then... You know, he's down, hands on his knees, head almost down his toes, just breathing heavily, uh, trying to find absolutely anything. It would just be good if the Bucks could win this series, you know, easily. 
But even more than that, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, the Bucks really need to focus on sweeping the Hawks. That one, you can't just decide that. It's not that easy. And these are a good team that we're not writing off by any stretch of the imagination. But let's say this is a Bucks in six series. I wouldn't be opposed to being blown out twice if it means that everyone isn't playing heavy minutes, you know? If you told me the Bucks were going to come out the other side and they're going to win in six, I'd say, okay, I'll take two blowout losses and I'll take four blowout wins, please. And let's just, you know, if they're going to move on, let's get it as kind of efficiently and with some some chance to breed for the players. Um, from an SP Snyder, can Forbes and Portis be more viable in this series than how much you'd like to see them play? Yes, and not that much. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not going to be radically different, but obviously they were... I know Bryn played briefly in Game 7. Bobby did not in Games 5 through 7, right? Um... That's where we're at. This is, you know, your season's on the line. It's funny that we're kind of like worrying about like role players that aren't in the rotation right now when the biggest bud criticism is that his rotation is so long and so big and you're relying on players that, you know, aren't your best players and all that stuff. Like this is, (laughs) this is what it comes down to when your season's on the line and you have to, you're trying to win it all. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's anything radically different from how they'll be used, you know, from what we saw in, like, the Heat series, even. I just want to see them play enough to relieve some minutes for other guys. Like, that is that is essentially what their purpose is here. Get Brooke a few minutes break. Um, particularly if the books want to stay big, whatever it might be, or if it's PJ... Like, those two guys in particular with Bobby, like, they both had to go pretty full-on for a series. And they are the two oldest players in the roster. I'm not forgetting anyone. They are the two oldest players in the roster, right? Brooke and PJ? Or Teague's possibly is older than Brooke. Mm, I think Teague is 32. Oh, so really? Brooke and PJ. Yeah. He's 33. Do you know when, do you know off top when Brooks' birthday is? I mean, they're the same age. <laughs> they're the same age. Teague is actually like, oh, Teague has just turned 33. Okay. So, yeah, Brooke is, Brooke is a little bit older. Um, yeah, they're viable. Just don't push it too far, but then don't be afraid to get a look at it in the first couple of games because you do have to preserve something. At the end of the day, You've got to win this series to have a chance at a championship, but you're trying to win this series because you want to win a championship. So you've got to kind of balance those two things in terms of player health um, at this point in the season. From a B-baller trio tree, is Brooklyn Lopez the only center in the league who is above average in all three of the following categories? One, defending the paint. Two, scoring in the paint. Three, shooting trees. I'm counting AD as a power forward, not a center. I mean, statistically, Brooke, is he above average at shooting trees, even among centers now? Possibly, but only above centers. Um, yeah, it's... And that's that really, that's the one the that... Yeah. Although, who are the two-way, like, really good defender, really good scoring centers? Which, of course, there aren't too many, because if they were... 
you know, franchise centers would very much still be a thing. He he has a rare gift, and it's a, certainly a gift for the books, in that he was like a franchise center. He was literally the Nets' all-time leading scorer. Yep. So he has these offensive skills that are still there and accessible for him. He has the, the areas of his game he's reworked, that being extending his range and, you know, becoming a top-tier defender with the books. And he has other things like his just his basketball intelligence, his ability to box out that were always a part of who he was. He's a very unique player. And there is a there is a follow-up question attached to this, which is assuming the books want to continue to play Giannis at the power forward position, is there any player in the league that could successfully replace Lopez in a similar budget? I I don't even think you can like if the books had more money, I don't think you easily do it. He is just he's pretty unique right now. Like whatever you're doing will be something different, which is, for example, how like Bobby Portis comes in as kind of the backup this season. It's because they can't get it. They, they tried. They literally brought his identical twin brother in. Um, yeah. They tried to replace in a like for a like sense. I don't think that was disastrous. I think I think a lot of that worked. And then they maybe needed some more from it too. There are things though, like this season, more than last season, I don't see where Robin would have seen the floor. Last season, he should have seen the floor in the playoffs. Um, yeah. Didn't didn't happen. This season, I can't see that. But yeah, I think Brooke is pretty unique. No, I don't. I don't think there's another. It's either there isn't that fine balance of in terms of what Brooke does defensively that you can say like, yeah, there's someone else could better... age into it like him is the thing, right? But there is no that's one the, there right yeah, now. That's the key. Um. Yeah, because you know, my mind immediately goes to guys like Carl Anthony Towns or Vucevic, mm-hmm. who are gifted scorers and shooters, all that stuff. They're not what Brook is defensively, clearly. Not even close. Um, DeAndre Ayton you know, is be another kind of different player, but again, you're just going like most of the centers are just they are very one dimensional. <laughs> um, yeah, Jokic. I mean, Jokic is the best center of them all right now um i guess we're forgetting about mb but he's not that good of a shooter either no he's not um he's not that good of a shooter he's also i mean he's just kind of i think disqualified from this kind of conversation because yeah, we, yeah. we can't just be like yeah if they lose brook they can go get and beat um but like even the interesting with Jokic is like is Jokic now one of the better big men defenders? Like, has that actually happened? It kind of feels like it has. I think he's going to age out in a way of, like, defensively, yeah. I, I think it speaks to just the style of centers that are coming true. And not even, like, we've moved past just being, you know, floor-facing big. But there is an offensive focus that is clearly more heavily weighted for, for big men coming into the league. Or at least the ones who make it to the league is probably the better way of putting that. You know, it's not a lot of love for like old favorites of mine, like uh, Nano Anawaku. <laughs> yeah. Should have been, should have been the next big thing. Um, underhand free throws, great passing, great defense. I'm still heard about it, Jordan. Years later, maybe most people listening are like, "Who is he talking Ooh. about?" But not me. I'm still, still thinking about 
Anyway, whatever. That was the fan draft. Like, if we had a do-over, is anyone going to stop me? <laughs> is, is anyone going to stop me? I don't know. Um, from at more cowbell five twenty, can the Bucks shoot as poorly from three this series and expect to beat the Hawks? What will the Hawks' number one defensive key be to winning? I think the answer to the first question is yes. Yeah, the Hawks' number one defensive key to winning. Find a way to stop something, which sounds kind of flippant and. Almost. I think it's Giannis winning. Maybe, but I like that can be tankless anyway, and that could just be something you fail if you don't have the right personnel. Most teams do all season long. Um, like it's not like that's not the focus, and most teams will fail. You need yep. very specific players. You can do something to stop him. Not everyone has that. I think the key for them will be though you've got to you've got to stop one out of the three to get yourself a chance. Should it be Drew? Drew on low confidence. Make sure that that doesn't change. Make sure his confidence doesn't get up offensively to then potentially even further fuel his defense. Like, I'm not saying that will be enough for the Hawks to win the series, but if Drew has the series that he could have and that he hasn't had so far. This is this is over. Like this is over. This is not going to be a contest. Yeah. If if Giannis, uh, Chris, and Drew all hit Playoffs something there. close to top gear, like this is a complete and utter mismatch. Now that is most likely not going to happen, which is part and parcel of how playoff basketball works. But if you're the Hawks, I think he's the one that right now you got to be looking at, and you're like, he doesn't have it. He's probably the easiest for us to target, and make sure that that doesn't change. I think they have a real problem with Chris, though. Yeah, absolutely. Like, someone like Kevin Herter in this game, like, Chris is just going to pick Kevin Herter apart, I think. Um, From a big avocado, why would we give Trey anyone to hide on? PJ could use some rest. We're only halfway home. Will Bud be creative? The matchups favor us if he finds them. Worried he might be overconfident and rigid with the game plan. But I don't, Bud is not going to be overconfident. Like this is again. This is like I know this is going to be a radical idea that a lot of people disagree. With. Bud is not a complete like drooling idiot. He's not like looking at this and being like, you know, we're there now. We're in. Just telling the players right. Here's what we need to do against the Suns. That is not how this is going to be. Um, I honestly, I like, I do understand where the question is coming from, but I don't like, I don't like thinking we're only halfway home and like yeah. PJ could use some rest. It's the conference finals. This is not the time to rest anyone. This is where we we got into the territory of this against the Raptors. We're looking at Warriors. Durant was hurt at that time. Like, yeah, I mean, like, it, similar circumstances are unfolding where we are looking ahead and do not do not do that. Well, I also, look, just in a very pragmatic sense, think of it. What could we live with from now for this book season? I would be very disappointed, but let's say the books get to the finals, they lose to the Suns, 
And part of the reason they lose is they just look like they're exhausted, you know? The weight of the run, the weight of the season, the weight of multiple seasons of trying to do this, wear them down, they fall short at the final hurdle. I'd be disappointed, but I could live with it. I would. I don't know if I would be able to cope with them falling to the Hawks because they just didn't lock in or they were looking ahead or whatever it might be. It's like, if you have to spend all your energy to get through this series to get to the finals, you spend all your energy because you've got to get to the finals. If you don't get to the finals, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it literally doesn't matter. Why, why save energy for finals you may not get to? Get to the finals and then you're there. And whether you win or lose, like that trophy is there it's within arm's reach it's you know it's what the franchise has been waiting 47 years to just get a look at to be that close get to the finals get to the finals this is this is the chance it's there for them but you've got to get there and if you've got to use everything to get there use everything and at least you're there at least you're gonna have that chance we can have a pre-finals imagine if that happens jordan it actually it sounds you know and break out in a smile because it sounds absurd. Um, in the years we've been doing this podcast, even though the books have been good for quite some time now, like if we could get to that point, that is great. The books have got to get there. So first and foremost, everything you've got, whether it's the last thing you've got, goes into this series. And I don't have any concerns about that. And part of the reason I have concerns about that is like the player in the question, PJ could use some rest. Nobody on this team is going to be less interested in rest than PJ Tucker, yeah. Because he won is like right at the end of his cap strain this year. He's also right at the end of his career. Like, yeah, he's he has been desperately trying for this for this kind of moment and been falling short when he's got close-ish to this moment for years. Now it's there. Now there's a clear sight of it. This could be it. Like. Who knows? This could be PJ Tucker's, you know, he could retire at the end of the season. Particularly if things went a certain way, he might just be like, yeah, cool, I'm retiring. But, like, that's an example of someone who, you know, hopefully he'll have 40, 50 years of long, happy, and peaceful rest and retirement. Mm-hmm. Like, he's already got the miles on his body. He's been through it. What's a few more will be his attitude. Um, it is how other guys are going to handle it is the question, but you've just, I I don't think, I don't think this is an issue as in, I don't think the books are going to have this as an issue internally. Maybe it is a thing that brings them down, but if it brings them down now, well, then it brings them down now. They could never want it to begin with. But for me, everything pushed into the middle of the table to get to the finals. And if you win that hand, then great. You're in with a chance for the biggest pot of all. And we worry about that from there. Yep. Lastly, from at Nordica Murph, what is Herder like on defense nowadays? I believe that the Bucks took Dante over Herder in that draft for Dante's defensive upside. Let's not go back to that too much. Um, Herder, however, is not scoring much more than Dante was this season, so I was wondering, is his defense passable or targetable? I don't know if you have more on this than me. My current read, and we'll probably both be much more qualified a week from now to talk in Kevin Herter's defense than we would be even right now. But from what I have seen and what I feel is he's pretty smart. He's going to be game. He's going to work really hard. It's not there though. Like he just, it's not something that's just naturally there for them. I am pretty confident in saying he has like 
a famous case of T-Rex arms in terms of wingspan. Yes, yeah. Going back, I remember that pre-draft even, that was one of the things that was a big knock on him. Uh, and possibly, given some of the book's preferences over the years, one of the reasons why maybe they didn't necessarily lean that way. But that is going to be a big problem against Chris Middleton. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be, you're going to give up some size and you're not going to have the length to really get in his face and bother him. That's going to be a problem. You know what that sounds like a recipe for? Some four-point plays. <laughs> exactly. And um, to be honest, I mean, the Sixers let the Hawks off the hook, no, way, no matter way, how many ways you look at it, but they don't have a Chris Middleton-type guy. Tobias Harris, I know there's like facsimiles of it. He's not that at all. Not that whatsoever. And he's so not even in the same and... sphere. Like... Clearly, um, there's a, the Sixers and their fans obviously have a whole lot of conversations to have and work through. You know, I think the currently the Simmons and the Doc ones are very much at the forefront. Tobias Harris needs to be a conversation to have, too, because that's just not cutting it. Start a dialogue, Barkley style. Yeah. So, yeah, th- um, if, they, if they move on from Simmons this summer, I think move on from Harris, too, and see if you can get one just, you know. Maybe you don't need three guys. Maybe you can get your second guy who's closer to Embiid and because Tobias Harris is not good. No. So that's, I mean, again, it kind of just goes back to X Factor for me with Chris in that there are gifted wings that the the Hawks have that can really give Milwaukee fits. It's the same problem for the Hawks on the other end of the floor. And how that shakes out we'll see but you know i i, th- I think that's where chris is really gonna feast if they really rely on her the you know as we saw down the stretch of the series against philly jordan what is your series prediction bucks in six so this is gonna be the win in six series this time has to come on we gotta come <laughs> Gotta hit the jackpot sooner or later. Bucks and five for me. Bucks and five. Bucks in five. Uh, I'm I'm confident. I'm very confident. Like I, I think we've done. I hope we've done a pretty good job of laying true it there. Like I think there's there's every reason to feel very confident, and that yep. the books, you know, the books could roll through this series. They. Could they sweep the Hawks? They could sweep the Hawks. I don't think they will. The Hawks do have something there. And it's going to be down to the books as much as it is the Hawks of just how much that's allowed to kind of take hold and how much of a series this becomes. If the books can do what they've done so far, which is win their home games, though, I think if you win the first two games in this series, I can't see this going six. can't see it getting close to six. Um... It may be doing well to get back to Milwaukee if that happens. But there's always a chance that the Hawks could go and win game one or win game two or both. And then we are right back in, you know, existential doom and despair, you know, where Mm -hmm. we call home. So there's all the ranges of possibilities are still on the table. But I do, I think books fans have reason to feel confident without being cocky about it without looking ahead this could change in the next week um it probably will it's just the nature of playoffs 
I've no bad will towards the Hawks, which is nice. I've I've no anything. I I respect and appreciate that it's a cool story that they've got here this year with this team. They're a franchise that there's you know long running, good, strong relationship bonds are you know undoubtedly there between the two teams, even fan bases. There's no reason for anything. This is not playing the Heat or the Celtics or the Raptors or the Nets or, the or you know. There's just there isn't the baggage that there is, and that in its own right is nice, because this could just be a basketball series. Imagine that if we could just like make it a basketball series. Books and five though. All right, Jordan, have you got anything else? I think that covers it. Okay, remember to send Jordan all of your congratulations and thank yous <laughs> at Jordan Tresky on Twitter, um, for his long successful tenure at Behind the Book Pass. You can find us on Twitter at winin6, that's numerical value 6, podcast. That's where you'll find all of our episodes drop. It's where you can get us for any questions or queries or comments. And also where if you want to join like the 25 plus people who sent in mailbag questions for our next mailbag, that's where the call will go out when we do that next. That's where you can get your questions. Of course, we can only be found on the wonderful Eurostep Podcast Network the home of Win in Six podcast, the home of Eurostep, the home of Eurostep by Win in Six, or um, most of the time, depending on if Jordan is working and I'm awake, um, yeah. game to game, crossover episodes throughout the playoffs. I am setting aside game one to be awake for, so I will I will be around for that for sure. Um, but yeah, whether Jordan and I are there, which one of us will probably be for most of it or not, Ty and Rowan will be there's going to be some combination of the four of us. If you're listening to this, you likely already know, but game to game, all of your post-game coverage will be here on this very podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's anyone who, you know, you're listening somewhere, you listen to us on our old feed, maybe the Eurostep Podcast Network isn't available on your preferred podcast platform of choice, there's still a chance for you to get in touch. So you can get us on Twitter or uh, email us at winning6podcast that's numerical value six at gmail.com if you need to get the podcast anywhere that it currently isn't so that's pretty much it it's conference finals time it's very exciting and hopefully hopefully this time will be different this time folks might just deliver until the next time thanks again to all of you for listening thank you Jordan thank you Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.